Do keep your Bibles open there in, in Ephesians, and I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, we do thank you for your life-giving word, your word spoken, your word that you caused to be written down, that we've heard read and that now we can hear proclaimed. Grant us, we pray, the heart and the minds, the hands, to be transformed and do your will this day. Amen. Uh, as a quick aside, I, uh, I was amused up here during Together Time that there was a fight about who sat in the front seat, even when it was a pretend car. <laughs> that is so consistent with my experience of life. Anyway, uh, timely too with that talking about uh, families and uh, households. Uh, families and work are a big part of our lives, aren't they? Uh, how can we be wise in them, in how we think and what we do with them? Now, one of the things about this topic, of course, is uh, in a room like this, the people who are gathered here, there's such a wide range of experiences. And we're not going to be able to deal with every single detail and situation today. Uh, but I do want to ask you to reflect as you hear God's word today, not only what does it mean uh, for you in your roles, but more widely as we encourage one another to fulfil these roles and do that together as a church because we want to be wise now that we've met the wisdom of God, the Lord Jesus. And we want to see the results that God intends for us when we live his way. Today really is uh, part two of a two-part sermon. Part one was last week. You might have noticed in the Bible reading we skipped over verses 5, verse 22 to 33. That's not because we're avoiding them. That's because we read them last week. But 5, 15 to 21 sets the context. Uh, nonetheless, let me just remind you of verse 21, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, last week, we concentrated on marriage, as I just said, not just human marriage, but the marriage on which they are based, the incredible union between Christ and all those he has gathered for eternal life, us included. Flowing out of that and remembering the order God's built into the world, uh, we heard how playing our respective roles in marriage, whether as a husband or a wife, will not only honour God, but strengthen our marriages. It's a team sport and uh, with overlapping but also different roles within that team. Placed here in chapters 4 to 6 as that was and as today is, these things we need to understand promote the unity that we live out here and now together as Christ's church. Do you remember how chapter 4 began? Let me read it for you. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that last sentence is saying what will happen when you do the first two sentences. Now we move from marriage, the marriage relationship to two other relationships in 6 verses 1 to 9. And the thing about all these relationships is that they span the different relationships in a home or a household. Uh, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, masters and slaves. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. 
uh, in Paul's day, a typical family uh, here in Ephesus or in one of the other towns that uh, this letter probably went to in Western Turkey, uh, these people would have lived and worked together. It wasn't like we're used to of most people having the commute. Uh, the household worked together as well as lived together. Not only that, uh, but if they were a household where the leader trusted Jesus, the whole household would go to church together. Not in a building like this, but in someone's home perhaps. Spacious enough that several households could meet together. And they would have been together when this letter, Paul's letter, was read. Now, we don't have masters and slaves in our homes, uh, but just to, <clears throat> just to flag this before we get to it a bit later on, let me foreshadow how we're going to apply that. Uh, I'll explain why when we get there, uh, but we're going to apply it to work, uh, whether it's paid or unpaid work and the relationship between leaders and those they lead in their work. The other thing about this rela these relationships, uh, as I touched on at the beginning, is that there's a God-given order built into them, uh, built in from the beginning of creation, where some are given the responsibility to take a lead and others the responsibility to follow. Uh, it's an order that means, and the context makes this clear, makes it nonsensical to interpret 5 verse 21 about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ as meaning every single one of us should submit to every other one of us. Uh, the relationship pairings that come after verse 21 make that clear. And it's an order that reflects the character of God himself and exists in our relationships because we're made in the image of the one who has this wonderful relationship in himself where the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And the Father loves the Son, and the Son submits to the Father. And the Holy Spirit uh, is sent by the Father and the Son and loved by them and serves them. Three persons in the one God in eternal ordered relationship. And so this is an order we live out, knowing the grace of God responding in obedience to Jesus. We put up that slide because uh, we've used it a few times given uh, the way Ephesians is set out and it's so important to remember that everything that we're talking about on this side of uh, the first three chapters is firmly founded on what was in the first side about the grace of God and the gospel. But like we heard last week, it doesn't mean uh, that those who lead should do so like a dictator uh, or that they are more a person or more valuable than those they lead. What we're reading here isn't about rights for husbands or rights for parents or rights for masters, but it's about responsibilities. Just as those, uh, they are responsibilities for those entrusted to follow their lead, in which each of us may demonstrate grace toward others, drawing from the bottomless well of God's grace toward us. And so, whether you find yourself in one of these roles, or more than one, or walking with brothers and sisters we have across our church who are in these roles, 
Today, what we want to do as we hear God's word is let it shape and transform our households and work. And so we come to roles to live out as parents and children. Uh, Reading from chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life on long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, when you see children there as the first word in that passage, what sort of child do you think of uh, when you hear it read? Because actually, it, it is a word that's very broad in meaning. Maybe you thought of a young child living at home with their parents. Maybe you thought of a, a three-year-old or a 16-year-old. Uh, what about an adult child living with their parents? And of course, all of us are still children, even when we don't live with our parents, as adults, of course. But in fact, uh, this passage addresses all of those circumstances Uh, but in different ways and for different reasons. So have a look at it with me. Uh, Look carefully. We're going to jump verse 1 at the moment to go to verse 2. It's the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment God gave to Israel after the Exodus that's addressed uh, to all people, whatever their age. Uh, We should honour our parents by our attitudes and actions at every stage of life. Uh, now look, I look around, I think I can say, uh, well, nearly all of us, uh, adult children. Uh, but honouring my parents doesn't necessarily mean I would do everything that they say. Uh, if my dad were to tell me now to do something, uh, I'd weigh what he said. I'd certainly take into account uh, and weigh that my father is asking me to do it. But at the end of the day, I need to make a decision where I'm taking responsibility for whether I do it or not. That is honouring my father as an adult child. Uh, But I'm not commanded to obey him. Likewise, and my parents are uh, 80, uh, as their capacity and health is subsiding, I'll honour God by taking responsibility in a way that matches their circumstances to be helpful to them so that their needs are met relationally and physically and spiritually. I don't need to be the one who actually does everything for them, but just as children need their parents to allow them to grow in independence as they grow up, children with ageing parents, we need to take on more responsibility as our parents become more dependent. It did occur to me after uh, uh, preparing this too that for those of you who might be uh, uh, experiencing your children trying to help you uh, and take on a little bit more responsibility to care for you, can I encourage you to embrace it and care for them in that way? So we've covered adult children with their parents. Now we come to growing up children with their parents. That's who Paul is actually addressing, I take it, in verse 1. So verse 1 refers to children and then then has the commandment, which is addressed to anyone who's a child, uh, whether adult or young, all of us. Uh, Come back to verse 1 and... uh, What a joy it is what he does here. It's a clear indicator that 
Growing up children are equally valuable and made in the image of God and equally valuable and remade... Sorry, my watch wants to talk to me. Uh, are equally valuable and remade in the image of Christ. Uh, and I say children growing up because, like I said, the word children in verse 1 could mean either sort of children, but it's verse 4 where parents are instructed to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord... Uh, that narrows the focus of the children he's addressing in verse 1. That's important because unlike wives and husbands, uh, wives who are instructed to submit to their husband's loving lead, growing up children are instructed to obey their parents, to do what they say. So when I was growing up uh, in my parents' house and my father said to me to treat my sister with respect... That wasn't open for me to weigh and consider whether I would do it or not. Uh, Living the new life in Christ, I should just do it. Now, there is one of the group. I'll just mention it to you in passing uh, because you will probably, your life will intersect with it or already has. Uh, We actually ran a seminar on this with our young adults not so long ago. It's being an adult child, still living at home with your parents. Uh, I won't spend long on it now, but uh, I encourage uh, children in those circumstances to honour their parents by taking on adult responsibilities for themselves and in the home, uh, and as is appropriate to the circumstances, looking after themselves, uh, because that's part of what living a God-honouring life looks like. Uh, And what I invite them to do with their parents is to negotiate what, you know, what are the expectations of living together. And if they can't abide by the things that are not negotiable, uh, or they think that they would actually be helped to take on those mature adult responsibilities uh, by not being there, I encourage them to move out. Now, I know we're talking about uh, families and homes and households, and I know that we've all had different experiences in the family we grew up in, and even uh, talking about this now might actually bring great pain. Uh, We are all sinners, children included. That's why they need to uh, be addressed in this passage. But there is no excuse or godly justification for parents to mistreat their children. And there's no excuse if you were treated like that as a growing up child. That's why fathers are also addressed because we too have responsibilities to our children. Verse four, fathers do not exasperate your children Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I think fathers rather than parents are in Paul's sights here for three reasons. Uh, The first, in Paul's day, in his circumstances, Roman law gave fathers this responsibility over everyone in their household. So he certainly was speaking to their immediate context. Uh, The second... Fathers still have a unique responsibility, not just in leading their wives, but in leading their growing up children, regardless of whether it's the first century Roman Empire 
or the 21st century today. It's God's pattern across all time. And the third reason is that I take it fathers more than wives are at risk of doing the opposite. Uh, This is that thing that I've mentioned to you before where sin will impact us the most in the very areas we have roles and responsibilities in. That's the conclusion I've come to by the way in which passages like this come up and the opposite of what we're meant to do with the new life in Christ is so often uh, undermining the very role that we have. That's not to say that, wives, you can exasperate your children. Just thought I'd better say that. And, of course, there are plenty of mothers who raise their children without the father being involved. But it's saying to those who are fathers or who will be, this is a temptation. You may feel it strongly, probably more strongly than mothers, and need to work hard not to give in to it. And so I don't know about you, but if you've been a father of young children, what I find when I come to this passage is God's word interprets my experience for me and makes sense of the tensions, the temptations, and so too my failings in this area. So what are we to do? Do not exasperate your children. Uh, Our children depend on us. That makes them vulnerable to us, vulnerable to our words and actions. It's the very nature of the relationship that means that this is a risk. And so we need to not frustrate them by what we say or do or anger them inappropriately. That means being realistic of what we expect of them. Uh, Having age-appropriate expectations, that's a phrase that I've heard a lot in our family over the years, even though I feel like I really only just got my handle on it and now the third one is an adult. Oh well, next time. And it means choosing our words lovingly to build up, not tear down. I think for me, this, is, this accelerated me repenting of sarcasm at home and beyond our home because I just don't think it's loving. It's saying one thing and meaning the other. And there may be times you can do it humorously with older children, with everything else lined up in the right way. It's possible. But my experience for us and observing others is that we need to be encouraged not to do it more than we need justification for doing it. And fathers, here's a big one. Don't take out your frustrations on your children. That will certainly exasperate them because I wonder if you've noticed our children are like little injustice meters. I couldn't find the right photo for this, but I think you can imagine it. Bit, bit old school having a dial like this. It's probably got digital numbers on it now. And sure, the dial is calibrated so that they think more things are an injustice than we know they are as parents. But they do detect and they are deeply impacted by the true injustices. The frustrations that build up from our work or anywhere else in our life or from our children not doing what we want them to do. Don't pay it out on your children. You will certainly exasperate them if you do, 
your difficulties are not their responsibility. And I find that my anger or frustration brings with it this dawning realisation, I think I've told you before, that, that it's <laughs> what's happening is showing I'm not in control, but actually what it's also showing is that I am never in control. And I need to leave that to the one who is. What should we do instead? Fathers taking responsibility for it, but both parents as well. Bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parenting is training. Uh, we have another name for it. Discipleship. We use that same word for our own discipleship, don't we? Even as adults, even as we ourselves take responsibility for that. But parents setting boundaries, affirming what you want to see repeated, forming habits that grow your children in the knowledge and love of God and his gospel is your first responsibility as a parent. What a great opportunity we had earlier this morning, isn't it? Here are ways that we can have God's word shaping and affecting our family. Some might work better for some, others better for others. And our goal as a church, and Jen has done a great job of developing how we do this as our children's coordinator, is it's not for our programs to be responsible to disciple your children, but for what we do together to complement what you do discipling your children and so even taking small steps uh, whether it's to do with reading the bible together with your child before bed or together at the table and praying together or connecting something that's going on in their life or your household's life with God's instruction of how to see it and view the world in the midst of it if you're a parent of growing up children, don't let the day finish without thinking, what's the next step for our family? Now, you, you know, I need to uh, recognise this with you, that you can't guarantee your children will walk in the Lord None of us can, nor is it our responsibility. And I know how heavy some of our hearts are that our children do not. But you cannot control them. We are called to be faithful in leading them and likewise faithful in depending on God for him to do that work in them. Let's encourage each other to do that. Now we've covered off uh, parent and children and their roles in the home. Uh, now we're going to come to roles at work. And again, what we're doing whenever we read the Bible is thinking through what is God saying and what did he say in the original context. But then through the lens of Jesus and his gospel, we get to why is God saying this? We're applying it to ourselves today. So we don't have time to do uh, the whole overview of slavery in the Bible. 
but if you did do that, you would find the accusation that's been levelled at the Bible that it somehow condones slavery by the way it comes up as a reason for rejecting its authority is more of a self-justification uh, than really uh, can be sustained. Even here, and like I said early on, what a revolution Paul and God's word brought to Paul's world addressing slaves like he does here. Or in verse 8, saying he rewards both equally, slave or free. But as these slaves worked for their masters, so God's word addresses us as we work for those who lead us, as it likewise does those we lead others at work, where we lead others at work. And whether it's paid work or not, whether it's something you'd call a job or it's a hobby or an involvement, the motivation is the same. I won't read out all of verses 5 to 8, but cast your eye uh, on them in your Bibles in front of you and let me just highlight this thread that flows through them. Verse 5, obey them, obey those above you just as you would Christ. Verse 6, obey them even when they're not looking as slaves of Christ. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Verse 8, because your true reward comes from him and serving him. I can think of another way of saying it. Act with integrity in your work, whatever it is. Uh, don't do what you do just to be seen doing it. Don't live or work to be a people pleaser. Live and work to please Christ. The old self, the one controlled by sin that's been uh, talked about in these three chapters, would, would take us toward laziness or taking credit for another's work, or doing less work than we're being paid to do, and, and other forms of inappropriate self-centeredness. But the new self recreated in Christ and his gospel, even if the person who leads you does the wrong thing, don't let that be your excuse for not doing what's right. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying this means to be a doormat, or that there aren't appropriate ways people should treat you, or that you can't pursue your rights under the law to be treated that way. Just, you just have to look to what's said to masters in verse 9. Uh, I mean, others and scholars have said that some of, so many of the benefits we have in, in the Western world today actually comes from the foundations of God's word in the Old and New Testaments. Have a look what masters are told to do. This would have been countercultural. They have responsibilities too. And so do you if you manage someone in your work. Verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since that you know who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Leaders of others whether in the workplace or any aspect of life, you are accountable. You're accountable to the one who is the Lord of the, those you lead as he is yours. So do not take advantage of those you lead. 
instruct them, yes, exercise appropriate accountability over them, do that too. These are the nature of this sort of ordered relationship, but act with God-given, spirit-filled, we heard in 5 verse 18, integrity. Now, as we've talked about these roles, uh, so too we have to talk about uh, the times that there might be the difficult decision to take to not follow uh, someone or something's authority over you. There can be situations where those under authority, in this case children growing up and workers who are led, uh, but of course there are other examples too in the Bible where God's word qualifies what is said here. The general principles uh, follow these lines uh, of when you should not follow. So I'm only going to touch on this briefly. Uh, you should not follow when you are being asked to do something immoral. You should not follow when you are being asked to deny God's authority and pursue some form of idolatry, treating something else as God rather than God as God. You should not follow when you are being asked to, to deny God's gospel. Now, if you find yourself in one of those situations, great wisdom is needed. Depending on God is needed. The love and fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ is needed. Do seek it out. Do seek it out. Because the danger for all of us, remember, uh, and this really arches across this whole passage, is that we would return to living the old life as the old peace person that we were before we were given life in Christ where those in authority use it out of self-interest rather than selflessness and those under authority out of, act out of self-direction rather than submission. But we walk in God's grace. and We want to please the Lord Jesus. And as we hear this good word from God, it's shaping and transforming us by God's mighty power. It's doing that so that we might see our sin in our lives. It shines a spotlight on it, doesn't it? And it also brings in us the confession and repentance that is needed in the face of it. It also, it, it, it demands that we depend on the boundless forgiveness of God which brought us new life. Maybe demands is the wrong word. It comforts us. So live spirit-filled lives, fulfilling the roles you have in God's ordered relationships and helping your brothers and sisters in Christ here to do the same. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we want to thank you again for your mighty creation, for the privilege of being made in your image and the responsibilities and opportunities you have given us. Firstly, as your creation, but now wonderfully recreated in the Lord Jesus, we ask for your spirit, that your spirit would work in us to bring about 
godliness and integrity and faithfulness in fulfilling the different roles we have in our lives, whether at home or at work, whether here at church or between us and the government, that your name would be honoured and glorified as people see, even if they don't see, where we know the church is the great trophy case of your extraordinary mercy in Jesus, that it is you that is at work in us. Amen. Amen.